come. All right. Well, hey, let's a couple of things I want to share with you this morning. This, if you are new to Vintage, welcome. I'm Steve Hamburg, the pastor here. And I want to share some news with you this morning that uh, this is family business things you need to know, kind of be in the loop about and be praying, uh, praying about because it will impact you, especially if you have kids. Uh, so, you know, several months ago, we were blessed to have Lori McMath come in and and, and take over our, our, the village and take over our camp adventure ministry and kind of lead in these two ministries in one every week. And, and she's been doing a fantastic job and she's been loving it. Uh, but some of you may know that, uh, I don't know how long ago it was now, six, seven months ago, her husband, Scott McMath, lost his job at AT&T. And, been, and they've been kind of just praying into, God, what's your next step for us? And what do you have for us? And what was, what's been going on in their hearts? Really, for the past, uh, I don't know, probably a couple of years, is they've had this ministry thing that's been stirring inside of their hearts, right? This idea of something that God would do with, to get, they would do together, something they would do as a family together. And so when he lost his job, they began really praying specifically into this. God, what does this look like? Is this the season that we, we dive into this? And long story short, they feel that it is. It's actually something that's partnered with this ministry we just, to, we just toured here called Daughters of Hope. If you don't know Daughters of Hope, they're taking women in Bangalore, India, who are at risk, uh, living in, very, in, in extreme poverty, bringing them into the into Daughters of Hope, this textile business, teaching them a trade, giving them a job, paying them a very fair wage, introducing them to Jesus, and, and they're then taking, basically producing stuff in India and then putting it back stateside. And so this is what, this is what uh, Scott and Lori will be doing. Actually, they, Lori has this beautiful artistic gift. They have other partners. They have artistic gifts with, and they're going to be working with Daughters of Hope, producing stuff in India, and then selling it to the masses, a.k.a. you. And, uh, and so with that in mind, she came to me several weeks ago, and it's kind of out of the blue, something I was not expecting, and she really wasn't expecting either. She said, Steve, I feel like God's called me to step out of the village so that we can give ourselves 100% to this ministry slash business calling that God has given us as a family. And so when she told me I was 100% shocked, that was out of the blue, not something we had been even talking about. We shed tears together. Uh, and she said, Steve, if I had, and this is her words out of her mouth, you can ask her and make sure I'm not lying. She said, Steve, she said, if Scott had never lost his job, this never would be on the table. But because he did, we really began praying. And God has basically she said, Steve, God is calling us to take this massive step of faith. And so a couple of things I want you to hear me say. Number one, I want us to be praying for them. This is a, you know, any kind of business venture is something that is overwhelming. Something, starting your own business, for those of you business owners uh, it is who kind of started your own thing from scratch, it's very difficult and, and can be, quote unquote, fear producing. So number one, we're praying for them. Because we believe this is, something, this is a ministry that God has for them. We believe God's called them to. Number two, we are very, very sad, to be completely honest with you. It's something that we... Again, not expecting. Lori was doing a fantastic job in both areas of ministering to children that were part of Vintage. And, and so to see her step out is something, honestly, that's very overwhelming. 
for me, for our staff, because she is family, and she'll still be here. She and Scott will still be here, uh, but it's their family, and so having her step out of the staff family, honestly, is very, very difficult. It's not one of those things where we're excited she's leaving, okay? And so uh, with her leaving, though, it does leave a void. And so with that number three, I'm asking you to pray for us. We're taking a step. Literally, last week she, she met. We met with the staff and talked about uh, what was going on. Then she met with her ministry leads this past Sunday. And the third step now is bringing that to all of you. And what I'm asking is that you would pray for us as we now take this week, take the next step into finding a replacement for her. Now, with that being said, she has said, yes, I will stay on through the summer just to help all of you, to help you to get someone in place. And, and so she's doing that. But our commitment to her is to find someone ASAP, which means as soon as possible. Right. And so with that being said, I would ask that you would be praying for us. We've We're asking that God would bring someone to fill her shoes, someone that would have a call to children, uh, someone that would be a fit for vintage, right? We're looking for someone with calling. We're looking for someone uh, with chemistry with us. We're looking for someone with competency, right? And looking for someone who can come in and give themselves with a passion to our children. And so I want to invite you to pray with us into that as Lori steps out of that role and just pray that God would... um, that God would bless her and, and Scott and the whole McMath family. That's, that's first. Then second, just begin to pray for the process here uh, with her stepping out and, and us looking for someone else. I, I would say in that, and let me just say this, this is just because we're family enough uh, here at Vintage. Uh, when, 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 when staff changes happen in church, there's always talk behind the scenes, Right? You know what I'm talking about? Everyone's afraid to raise, everyone's afraid to nod their head, right? All right. There's always talk that happens. And so I would say this, please, 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 for the sake of unity advantage, if you have questions or concerns or thoughts, go to come to me or come to Lori. The last thing I want to hear is people talk about so-and-so said this and so-and-so said this. We've been praying very hard the last three months at Vintage in our Tuesday morning prayer times. God we're asking for a spirit of unity because this, the, the enemy is stirring with disunity and seeds of discord. And so we've just been praying against that. And so all I was saying is this. Just have a conversation with those who are in the know. Talk to our leadership team. We've talked to them. Sit down and, 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 and but first just pray. Just pray for us. Pray for, pray, for, pray for the future. Pray for the next steps. And pray that God will be glorified in all of us and ultimately pray that the McMath business would succeed and they can start giving a lot of money to Vintage, right? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding in that. Just kidding. But, but do pray. The second part, I'm kidding. Do pray that their business would succeed, all right? And pray that they would find great joy in that and they would find something to get. Like, here's the thing, y'all. And it's really kind of our fault. We took them to Kentucky uh, two spring, two spring breaks ago, two spring breaks ago, and in the process of being with our urban missionaries there, Jeff and Sherry Maddock, God began to stir something inside of both of them, 
that now is actually coming to fruition. And so if anyone can be blamed in her stepping out, it's, it, I'll take the blame. Uh, but because she's answering the call of God's mission uh, for their family, okay? So with that, let's just take a moment and, uh, and just pray for them together, if you don't mind. Lord, we love you. We thank you for Lori. We thank you for her role at Vintage. We thank you, God, for the way that, that she and the whole family, God, just serve and give themselves and and Father, we're going to ask in this next season, this next step, God, that you would bless her, that you would bless she and Scott, that you would bless the family, and that, Lord, you would move in power in all of them. And God, that you'd be glorified in this next step that they are taking. God, we love you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. All right. Well, hey, isn't next Sunday? Next Sunday is Easter, right? Next Sunday is Easter. So. Uh, this is a, this is an important week in the history of the church. We call this Palm Sunday, and uh, Palm Sunday represents what we what most Bibles talk about in Mark chapter I think it's Mark chapter eleven talks about this triumphant entry of Jesus. That's what it's called the triumphal entry, right? Because this is the moment where Jesus is stepping in to do what only he could do. That the very reason that he came to, to planet Earth, this was the initiating moment. This was the starting point, right? This is the moment where he enters into Jerusalem and he, and he sets off this chain of events that ultimately would lead to the cross, which ultimately leads to the resurrection, which ultimately, not to be dramatic at all, but literally changed the face of the world as we know it. In the moment... This is the initiating moment, Jesus stepping in to Jerusalem. I say that, he never really stepped in, did he? He rode the back of a donkey. Jesus is a little bit lazy in the moment, I'm just saying, okay? No, he wasn't lazy, right? He's riding the back of a donkey into Jerusalem, and all these people, all these children are looking for these palm branches and all these other things, right? And they're laying them down before Jesus. And Jesus comes in and everyone, and we say today, this is the triumphal entry. This is the triumphal entry. This is what we're celebrating today and we're initiating what we call Passion Week. Leading up to the passion of the Christ. Now, over a hundred years ago, in the Deep South, a phrase that was that's now commonplace in, in our church world and our in our Christian history and our in our Christian culture that was used that we, that we use born again was not used back that very much back in the day. Back in the day, you never heard much the phrase born again. What instead you heard in describing the breakthrough into a personal relationship with Jesus was this phrase. I was seized by the power of. Of a great affection. I was seized by the power of a great affection. So back in the day, the phrase that we use, born again, never used, right? Or not very used very rarely. But the phrase they would use instead was, I was seized by the power of a great affection. Now, as we step into, into this Passion Week, and we step even that much closer, a week away from the resurrection to, to Easter, right? What if we would say this morning that the primary desire of Jesus at Easter is not just the remembrance of His death, but instead the primary reality and desire of Jesus is that we had a primary remembrance of His love for us. 
to get to the core of what ultimately led Jesus to the cross. Jesus did not come to earth because he was super excited all about dying on a cross. In his 33 years of life, he has seen lots of people killed on a Roman cross. This this object of torture. And the last thing he was doing is going, oh my gosh, that looks like fun. Hey guys, let's do this. There was nothing like that happening in the mind of Jesus. There's not just the remembrance of the death of Jesus that he wants us to remember at Easter. What if the ultimate core desire of of Jesus is that we look to what led him to that moment? This undeniable passion. This undeniable love. What if he wanted us to focus on the power of his great affection? What if the very core of Easter, the center point of what we focus on, is the power of his great affection? I'm taking these from a a guy by the name of Brennan Manning. He wrote a book called Ragamuffin Gospel. Some of you have read it. He also wrote another book called Significance of Jesus. If you've never read anything from Brennan Manning, you need to read all of his books. Here's a guy who understood and was seized by the, the power of Jesus' affection for his life. Here's a guy who, was a, when you read his books, he's just like us. He struggled with depression in his life. He struggled with understanding who he was in Christ. Here's a guy who, who understood his own frailty in the midst of his own life. Brennan Manning. And he's writing these books as a, as a person just like you, sharing his shortcomings, sharing his faults. But, but in the moment... In the moment, Brennan Manning is he, he's writing these words because he's saying, this describes my moment with Jesus. Like, like when he had his born again moment, if you talk about it in Scripture from John chapter 3, Nicodemus says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, man, you, you must be born again. Nicodemus goes, what do I need to hop back in my mom's womb? I mean, dude, I'm old, she's old, that's crazy, Right? And he comes and says, no, spirit gives life to spirit. You need to be born again of your spirit. And so the words that we used were not so much born again in the Old South. It was, I was seized by the power of great affection. And Brendan Manning would say, this, this is what, this is what happened to me. I was living depressed, overwhelmed, disconnected and distant from the Father, from God. I did not know Him. I was overwhelmed in my disconnect. I was living life. I was overwhelmed by life. But I was seized in the moment by the power of great affection. See, in my life, when I think back, there are, there are two specific moments I can think of of in, their, in, in earthly relationships where I was seized by the power of great affection. And I'll describe them this way. Anna Catherine and Sarah Hambrick. My two girls, right? They're 11 and now 10. They're getting too big, too old, too fast, right? But I remember, literally, as all of you who are parents, you remember that moment. That moment of, uh, of them... First, I mean, they're conceived and they're in Randall's belly and I'm loving them already. But man, the moment they the moment they came 
they came out into into a place where I could see them. The moment they were birthed is this great and awful moment all at the same time. Right. But in a moment, right, the moment of birth, they come out. I want to say pop out. That's kind of disgusting. Right. But they come out and, and it's like. Oh, and I remember I, was, I remember with both of them, I'm just I was too excited to cry, but I knew I should cry and I was overwhelmed. And I was and I was undone. I was seized with the power of some affection for them. I was undone. And I, and I know that's a word I use all the time. People make fun of it. But but I, I was undone. I mean, literally, I was undone with affection. I was undone by my love for these kids who I had never officially had a conversation with. They had never done anything for me, right? They had never kissed me, never spoken a word to me. They had done absolutely nothing but be born slimy. That's all they had done. They should not render affection for me, right? There's nothing should happen inside of me for that. But I was undone. I was undone, seized by a power of this affection that I had for them, right? At the outset of each of these relationships, I felt the seizing of my heart. I didn't have to work for the feeling. I didn't have to earn it. I had to pay for it. I couldn't duplicate it. I couldn't create it in my own strength. It was simply something that seized me. In those moments, I have a moment. Listen. I remember scripture says, return to your first love. Jesus says to the church in Revelation, one thing you one thing you lack, return to your first love. I have a moment. I have a moment of a of being seized in this first love. A moment with my children that I can return to every time. I can sit there and they say, I told you a couple weeks ago, they love me telling them stories and he said, Daddy, 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 tell us a story about us. And I can always very easily return to the moment of being seized with the first love and affection for them. Now, as powerful as my love is for my girls and as strong as the sense of being seized was by my relationship with them, I had to say that, that in my own life, I have this greater sense of being seized by the power of Jesus' love for me. And the question we ask ourselves is, do we have that moment? Like, do we have that moment in our lives where we, where we have this, this overwhelming sense of, the, the, of being seized by the power of Jesus' affection for you? Like, in my life, I, I tell my girls all the time, I'm like, listen, Randall, me, my, your mom, I... I love her. She comes before you. She comes before you. And I love you. It's a very different type of love. But I, she comes first and you come second. But Jesus is the primary love and the primary affection of my heart. He comes first in everything. I've been seized by the power. And we said last week that when we look into the cross, as, as the cross is overwhelming as it may be, because we look into the cross and we see the eyes of Jesus, we recognize that we've offended him, that we hurt him. And when we look into his eyes, right, what do we see? We see the, we see the pain that we have caused him, but it's only in looking to his eyes that we find healing from the one who can forgive us. 
right? And we look into the eyes of Jesus and we find, we find forgiveness. We find restoration. We find one who says, but I have loved you. I have seized you with my love, right? And what we find then is that Easter, about the death of Jesus and this moment of his life, his death, and ultimate resurrection, when we look at Easter, what we find is we find the defining moment for all of creation about what love is truly about. Because Easter paints the picture for us of Jesus's powerful love and defines for all of humanity what love actually is. First John chapter three, verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Just press pause. There's a colon right there. This is how we know what love is. And I want you to stop with the colon right there is what John's saying. And I want you to see what I just said. This is the picture of love. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Leave that verse up for a minute. Because I want you to see what John is saying. Remember, John is the one he describes himself. He describes himself as the one whom Jesus loved. Like, that's the description he used. You don't remember, in the book, in the Gospel of John, when he describes himself, says, And Peter and the disciple whom Jesus loved came running to the tomb. Isn't it powerful to find John describing himself, the defining, the way he defines himself for the rest of the world to know is as the one whom Jesus loved. He used to be called a son of thunder. Now he is describing himself as the one whom Jesus loved. He had been seized by the power of great affection and he was undone by it to the point he says, hey, I want the world to know. That if you look in the dictionary under the word love, you're going to find Jesus on a cross. You ever do that? Look in the look in the dictionary for someone for the word lazy. You're going to find and you name one of your children. Right. And John's basically doing that right here in the moment. He's saying, look in the dictionary right here. The defining right. This is how we know what love is. This is how we define love. Jesus on the cross. Jesus died for us. He laid down his life. John 15, 12 through 13. My command, Jesus said, my command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this. And to lay down one's life for friends. Jesus is describing himself. Remember, he says, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. He's laying his life down for his friends. This is the defining moment. Therefore, as you step closer to Easter, we're seven days away or six days away. My question is this. Have you ever been seized by this type of power of God's affection for you? I mean, this is this is what the cross is about. This is why this is why ultimately we were born so that we can know this affection so we can know this type of love from Jesus, right? 
It is the overarching point of Easter. Jesus died to show you how much he loves you. His great affection. Brendan Manning goes on in his book to say this. This is how he describes himself. This is powerful. I, I was convicted. It says this. My deepest awareness of myself is that I am deeply loved by Jesus Christ and I have done nothing to earn it or deserve it. This is how he describes himself. My deepest awareness of myself. When I live, when I live my life every moment of every day, when I wake up every moment, every morning when I go to bed, every night, every morning, every night, my deepest awareness of myself is simple, that I'm deeply Love. I'm overcome by the strong affection. And I've done nothing to earn it. And I've done nothing to deserve it. I am loved by Him. This defines the underlying reason for Jesus coming to earth and dying and being resurrected. Do you see the story of Easter in this? It's not, Jesus doesn't celebrate His death. He celebrates what his death means and the expression of love that he has for all of humanity. Yes, we remember his. We don't just sit there and go, oh, I remember his death. Listen, my mom died when I was 23. I don't sit back and go, oh, I remember her death. No, I remember her love for me. I think back to her death and all it does is reminds me of every story of, I have with her throughout the history of my life. Those 23 years of how she loved me better than anyone had ever loved me ever. I look at Easter not so I can focus on the cross and just his death. I focus on his cross and it reminds me of the power of his undeniable affection for me. Do you see Easter? And do you see, so, so with this in mind, look at Hebrews chapter 12 again. If you've, if you've never read it before, read it to you today for the very first time. But the verse about Easter and about Jesus and about him going to the cross, and it says this. Hebrews chapter 12, uh, starting in verse 2, actually verse 1, whatever I put down, says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... Let us also lay, hold, lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him. Think about him. Dwell on him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So the writer of Hebrews, or whoever he is, is coming and saying this. Listen, it's difficult. Listen, it's difficult being a Christian. You have to persevere. It's overwhelming. You live counterculturally. You have to do things you don't necessarily want to do, and things people make fun of you about. People want to beat you up and kill you. Here in Hebrews and talking to the Hebrews, they were literally suffering persecution, right? And he's coming to saying, "Listen, listen, run the race. You're surrendering. Don't lose heart. Why? Number one, you got you got all these people from your past, all of your past family members, Abraham and Moses and Isaiah and Jeremiah and all the disciples. All of them suffered." 
all of them suffered greatly to, to run the race set before them. So think about then, number one. But number two, think about Jesus on the cross and what he had to endure. And he, and he comes and says this, and, and, and it's something that's crazy. We see that in the moment there was joy for Jesus. It says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. How many of you know that Jesus didn't necessarily enjoy the Passion Week? Think about it. He comes in on a donkey then he celebrates his last Passover feast. I don't know about you, but the last time you do something with someone, it's difficult. And then he gets betrayed by one of his best friends. And not just like said something bad about him and slandered him. No, betrayed him to the point where he ended up being arrested, beaten, crucified, and then buried in a tomb. That's all the last week, my friends. We use the word endure here because you never have to endure something that you enjoy, do you? He had to endure the cross. It was overwhelming. He did not look forward to it. He did not enjoy the process of it. But where is his joy found? Well, his joy is found simply stated in what it would mean for the ones who had seized his heart with great affection. Do you know that Jesus was seized by the power of great affection for you when you had done absolutely nothing to cause it to be. That's the nature of, of his love for us, right? It's the nature of, of a love for a, for a parent to a child that the moment they are born, they, they seize the heart of their parent. And in the moment here, in the moment of, the, of, the, of this, the, this, this creation of Jesus, of us in Jesus' own mind, he's like, he sees us before our own, our own birth. He sees us before time and he's, a, he's in love with us. He has a strong affection for us and he's seized by the power of this great affection that he has for us. Even knowing, listen, we're seized with affection when our children are born, knowing that our children are going to do mean things to us. They're going to hurt our feelings. They're going to disappoint us. And they're going to let us down. But we're seized by love for them anyway, right? And Jesus, in the midst of knowing how he was going to suffer because of us, was still seized with a powerful affection for you. And this is what Easter is all about. And so when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, when we think about Easter, when we think about the Passion Week, we think about the cross of Jesus, we're not just remembering a death, we're, remi- we're thinking of His death and everything about His love for us is birthed inside of us, specifically recognizing that He was seized by us and we were murdering Him. And that, my friends should change the way that we view Easter. He was seized by the power of great affection. And this Easter, 
That's the joy of these. That's the joy of, of, of Hebrews 12. The joy set before him. He suffered, being able to see straight through the suffering to see the joy that he would find when you gave your life to him. For the joy set before him. What joy is that, Jesus? The moment of recognizing when you are seized by the power of my affection and enter into an eternal relationship with me, that makes it worth it. Why do you think the, the writer of Hebrews is saying, continue to persevere in this relationship. Continue. Think what Jesus went through. Remember his death. Remember the suffering. Remember the undeniable power of his affection for you. And do not lose hearts. Because the great desire of every parent is to have their love returned by their children, isn't it? We desire with everything inside of us, just like Jesus did, to have their child's affection returned. Why do you think the great commandment given by Jesus is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind? Because this is the returning of affection. This is, I've been overcome by the power of great affection. I long for my children to be overcome by the power of great affection. And just as I pour my love out for them, I desire for their love to be poured out to me. Why? We're able to love. Why? Because he first loved us. Easter is about this desire of Jesus to, for us to be seized by the power of great affection. In his other book, Brendan Manning tells a story of an old man who's meditating by a river. As he meditates, he looks out in the river, kind of on this root, this, this root that's out in a tree, and he sees a scorpion. And so he's overcome by a desire to save the scorpion, so he reaches his hand out, and as he does it, as he, as he touches it, the scorpion stings him. He pulls his hand back. But again, he still does, has a desire to, to save the scorpion, and as he and as he reaches out again, a, a, a passerby yells, at, Hey, you crazy old man, what are you doing? Only a fool would risk his life for the sake of an ugly, evil creature. Don't you know you could kill yourself trying to save the ungrateful scorpion? But the old, this old man was undeterred. Put his hand out again and struck again. And he was in great pain. His face became contorted. And the man looked up and said, my friend, just because it is the scorpion's nature to sting, that does not change my nature to save. Just because it is the nature of the scorpion to sting, it does not change my nature to save. See, the nature of Christ's love led him to the cross through Passion Week and full knowledge of what he was doing, who he was doing it for, and how unworthy we really are, Jesus still moved. And I can only imagine if someone said to Jesus, hey, only a madman would risk his life for the sake of an ugly, ungrateful creature. I can, just, uh, I can imagine just Jesus speaking in response, my friend, just because it has fallen mankind's nature to wound, that does not change my nature to save. Do you see the affection of Jesus for us? Knowing 
that we would hurt him, knowing that our sin would be on him, knowing that it's that he would suffer great pain. Because he was undeterred, his affection and his desire to save the ones that he loved. We seized his heart. He endured the cross so that we could be seized by his heart and his affection. And the question I want you to ask this morning, and I've already said it once, but I want to say it again. Like Brennan Manning, can you say this? My deepest awareness of myself is that I am deeply loved by Jesus Christ and I have done nothing to earn it or deserve it. I invite the ministry team to come forward. I invite our worship team. We're going to go back into another time of worship. If you're a first-time guest at Vintage, I want you to know our offering baskets are here at the front. And if you feel compelled this morning to, to give or you feel God leading you, this is where you come. Just make your way up here. If you fill out a Connect card, just leave that on the chair and we will pick it up later. This is just part of worship this morning, giving back to God what belongs to Him. But in our time of ministry this morning, here's what we desire to do. In our time of worship, some of us this morning, number one, do not know Jesus. You've never experienced and been seized by the power of God's affection for you ever. And you're sitting this morning saying, I feel, I just feel, I, I sense this something wooing me. And I would say this Jesus. If you feel a tug this morning, a desire. A desire to be overcome by God's affection. Then ask Him for it. Introduce yourself to Him, although He already knows you. We have ministry teams that would love to introduce you to the Jesus that they've been stricken by God's love for them, seized by the power of His affection. They can introduce you to Jesus. Number two, those of you this morning who came and you say, I, rem- I remember that moment. But I'm not living in it today. I'm not living in this moment of the power of God's affection. I want to return to my first love. I want to return to that moment. I never, I, just a couple weeks ago, I was at a conference, and a guy said this. He said, he, he said this. He said, ministry with Jesus is worship. Ministry without Jesus is slavery. And the same can be said about your own life and your own business life and your own married life and your own parental life and your own life in general. Life with Jesus is worship. Life without Jesus is slavery. And some of us this morning, you need to be redeemed. You need to be set free from the slavery that you've been in. I encourage you this morning before the Lord. Take communion this morning. Come to the altar. Celebrate what God has done for you. What Jesus, what He endured for you because He was seized by great affection. And He wants you to be seized by the power of His affection. This week, I encourage you to read from Mark chapter 11 all the way through. It's the story of this week. It's the Passion Week. You can read the set. If you don't know the John, the book of John, is literally split in two. It's like the first 33, 33 years, or 32, 33 years, and never how many days of Jesus' life, and the last half is the Passion Week. 
It was that important to John to, for us to understand the power of his love. I encourage you this week, read that. Read the passion story and allow it not to be a story of remembering death, but of being overcome by the power of his great affection for you and for us. And say, Jesus, overwhelm me and reveal the nature of your love for me, God, so that I can be seized by you for eternity. He responds the Lord leads this morning, this worship.